Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Mark Rose podcast. Oof, it's 2020. I swear it was just 2014. <laughs> you know, this new year felt different in some way, and it could be just my mind. You know, I'm open to that <laughs> possibility that I was just convinced by that, by all the people talking about new moons and new Mercury's and Gatorade and all that stuff. But really, it was kind of interesting to experience within our bodies, the end of a decade, you know, as opposed to the end of a year, but the end of a decade, there's something that seems sort of more significant about that. Much like our birthdays when they're 20 or 30 or 40, I think we often feel there's a certain level of responsibility that meets, you know, this idea of where we're supposed to be when we compare our lives to other people, when we compare our lives to the story that we've been taught of how it's supposed to unfold so I have a couple invitations for you. The first one is to not allow yourself to, you know, to, to observe when you are comparing your story and where you should be and what your life should be like and how much money you should have made or what kind of job you should have had or how many kids or not or married or divorced or all that fucking bullshit. That stuff that just creates pain because you are comparing your life to quote unquote normality, which let's be honest, like normal can be calming, but it's pretty fucking boring in the sense that what I mean by that, it's, it, there's no shame to, to like that a type of life that has fit the narrative of what we're taught. It's just that when we compare ourselves and the unfolding of our lives to those things and they don't match and then we experience suffering because of that. We're really comparing our lives to the systems that we've been taught to desire, the outcomes, the destinations that we've been taught to want, the material possessions we've been taught to want to own that are markers of success, quote unquote, in life. You are exactly where you need to be because you're there. 
and it might be dark and it might be hard and it might be joyous. And it's likely a bunch of those things. If you give yourself space to experience all the feelings as Dr. Alexandra Solomon talks about this, both and that you can both be sad and be excited. You can both be joyous and grieving. And that's because we have space to hold it all. You are the complexities of the universe. Isn't that so cool to think about? So the first invitation is to observe your comparison game that is causing you pain and suffering. The second one is to trust, to stop trying to fight for a different story that is different than the one you're in, to stop wishing for a different past, because then you can't hold on to where you are. You know, when we reject what has happened, which we can't because it's happened, we inherently reject the learning that's available in that. And I was speaking to an audience in New York, and one of the people attending was saying that when they moved, that they had thought that they would leave all these parts of them behind that they didn't want to bring with them. And when they moved and got to New York, they realized that there were parts of their old self, old life that were coming up, and they didn't want to still have those parts. They didn't want to still think about those things. They thought they could just move and it wouldn't be, you know, be able to just move and geography would leave emotion and struggle and pain and trauma and all those things behind. And I just sort of realized in that conversation with them that the part that we most want to reject, the parts that we most don't want to accept are the parts that are the wisest. They're the parts that can teach us the most. They're the parts that can expand us the most. And so in this invitation to presence, to being here now, just be here now, is to look at how in your past the things that you reject or don't want to accept are inviting you to be here now more present, more full, more alive. You know, the truth is, is that life is not easy and no one's got that shit figured out. That's, we know that to be true. But it is an invitation you know, it's an invitation to continue to dive into inquiry into yourself, into who you are and what you want and what you don't want, and to separate what you want from what you're taught to want. And that is when we individuate. Your feelings are your feelings, mine are mine. My desires are mine, yours are yours. You know, that is the opportunity to draw a circle around who you are. And we might never have done that. You know, we were born into families and systems and religions where it's not like you choose your religion, you know, till you choose it. If we do, we're born into a faith, a belief system, or not even atheism, you know, those types of things that you're still born into a construct of how we see spirituality or the divine. And at some point, you start to feel like those things don't match or parts of them don't. There's beautiful things to all constructs that we are taught, but there are things that do not serve us. And so I invite you to explore what does not serve you, which means that you are going to be paying attention to what does. This all sort of fits perfectly with what's happening in this week's conversation, which is about grief, about letting go, about endings, about loss, and all of those things and so honored to have both someone who is incredibly important to the Create the Love team and has become such a good friend. 
and just one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, just one of the largest hearts on the planet, and such deep wisdom, so much inquiry into her own experiences and her own pain and the losses she's experienced. And we really jam on that subject of grief and that idea that all endings are new beginnings. And sometimes in between the ending and the beginning, that unfolding, that transition is that space of uncertainty, which is the same space that lives between an old behavior and a new behavior. It's cultivating and sourcing our self-worth from someone else versus sourcing it from ourselves, having no boundaries to having boundaries. In between all these spaces are the experience of death, the experience of death of a self that kept us safe, the experience of death of a behavior. And that is grief and loss. So let's explore that subject. Without further ado, here is the wonderful and brilliant Emma Tate. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. Today is a very special day for a couple of reasons. One, the guest that I have on here today pretty much runs my life, runs my business, runs Create the Love. Um, started out as like one of the main parts of the team. You were the first member of the team. I was. Yeah, Emma Tate. Welcome. Thank you. So I've had the honor of um, joining with Emma and just in yours continue to change too. Mm-hmm. And you have so much wisdom within your life experience. And there was a request recently. Well, there's always many requests, but one of the main requests I keep receiving is how to navigate grief, how to navigate loss. And as someone who has experienced losses, um, and you write about it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be an, you'd be the perfect person to come on here and share how we might do something like that, how we might handle that. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, there's, this is the thing about grief and loss is that there is no, there is no way to handle it really and to navigate it. And I think that's where I would feel called to talk more about. That's where a lot of my writing comes from is that people always want a formula and there just isn't one. So is that the first part is to let go of this idea of a structure, Mm. you know, of like a recipe? Because of course there's the five stages of grief that have been sort of academically, you know, researched, I suppose, and then, and then formulated into an order. But I know when, because, uh, you know, loss of someone passing who we care about or loss of a job or loss of a relationship. In navigating that, I remember what you said to me when my relationship first ended was that there won't be sort of like a linear stages. It will come, <laughs> you'll be at stage three and then five and then you'll be back at one sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think I even actually learned ever the official stages of grief. Um, and you don't really need to because you feel all the things anyway, but that's one of the big things that I did learn really early on. And that really helped me early on was that this isn't linear and it's going to feel like you're in a washing machine. A lot of days, maybe for a really long time, maybe even years later, um, especially around certain holidays or Mm. the day of the passing or around certain places 
certain things will just trigger your memory um, and you'll be just back where you started and it'll feel like it'll feel like it felt when it first happened or it'll feel like just in the very early days afterwards. It'll feel like you've made no progress and using air quotes at all in those moments. And that was when I learned that concept of, well, it's not linear, um, this complete up and down upset. That's actually how it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that helps a little bit. Yeah, in the context of relationship, it comes with this idea that then we must not be over it. Right. You know, yeah. as opposed to actually, it doesn't mean that. It just means a part is moving through you that has not moved through you, or or you honor the beautiful moment that maybe you go to a restaurant that you shared your first date, or you walk by it, and all of a sudden it triggers this cascade of mm. emotion and loss. Yeah. We think that's evidence like, oh my God, I'm not over it. I made the wrong decision. And Yeah. People ask that all the time. Like I see clients asking that or people on social media asking that. And that's something I experienced as well in my own life. And I think that what I really would say to that or what I always come back to is the more we fight it, the more we think it's something we have to get over the more we're just really prolonging or deepening or intensifying our suffering as opposed to learning how to go through life. You take on the grief and the loss and the pain and it becomes a part of you that you are walking alongside your life with as opposed to this thing that happened that you have to figure out and disassemble and overcome and eradicate Um, is instead of going at it face first or in a confrontational type of way, you're really walking alongside your pain and your grief. And when you do that, I think you make space for it in your life. And because whether or not you do it, it's taking up space in your life, mm-hmm. right? So you can whether either- Whether or not you acknowledge it yeah. or you allow it to move through you. Yeah, it's going to take up the space anyway. But if we can soften to that and become friends with our pain or friends with our grief and, or at least surrender a little bit to it, then it, it takes up space in a way that doesn't feel so confrontational. It's making a home in your body because it's there anyway. Mm, so we don't have adversity to it. We're not trying to reject it. We're not shaming that it's occurring. We're just allowing yeah. it to occur. Yeah. And the loss that pivoted or, or caused this deep inquiry within yourself, within this understanding that you're sharing right now, do you want to share with people what that loss was and- Mm, Yeah, I can. So for me, it was really a number of losses all at the same time. Um, The, I mean, I guess the big thing that precipitated it was the suicide of my older brother. And that was five years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. At the same time that that happened, the relationship that I was in completely imploded. Um, There was a lot of just infidelity and kind of really grief and sadness and loss there. And then at the same time that that all happened, I decided to, I was living in Ontario at the time out east in Eastern Canada, and I moved away from all that. I completely closed down my whole life where I, you know, where I was living, the job I was having, the yoga studio I was managing, all that stuff, just shut it down and moved out west. And so for me, that was like a real cascade of losses and identities that I let go of after the loss of my brother, of course, the death of of him was the biggest thing that I was navigating, but it really fed into all the ways that I dealt with 
the other life transitions. Yeah, like what in the loss of your brother, what did it trigger at least in in a further opening or understanding of like what you were existing in in your life at that current time? Yeah, I mean, it really, it just made life real almost. I look back at that time now and it feels like everything before that happened wasn't real life. Like I was just mm. living, you know, even though my life hadn't been easy, you know, quote unquote, with none of us, you know, really can say that our lives are easy, but it just felt like it wasn't real. It felt like some part of me was asleep or was not aware of the gravity um, or the preciousness of what I was experiencing and how easily all of that can really change and how precarious we all really are emotionally. Um, and so, on, I mean, on the one hand, that opened up the whole conversation of mental health and how similar we all are and how much we really all share these struggles and how important it is to talk about that. But then just in my own life, it really made me realize like, wow, what am I doing? Like, what decisions am I making? Is this how I want to live my life? Um, one of the things that grief does is it blows you wide open and you feel everything mm. really, really intensely and everything feels really big, really important. I, I mean, or there's numbing as well that happens. But for me, a lot of things felt like I just had to make decisions. Like I didn't want to keep going down a path with a relationship that wasn't honoring me, that wasn't right for me, or in a job that was just kind of playing small or coasting. Um, I thought, oh my God, this huge loss just happened. I have to I have to honor his life. I have to honor the importance of, of my life. Um, my life should mean something. I should be doing things that I want to do and not, and not just kind of coasting through. It's amazing how much it invites us into presence. You know, the, yeah. and a, of course the loss of a relationship is not the same as the loss of a brother or a sister or a cousin or whatever we might lose. And in my experience of that loss, and so I'm not relating them, but just saying in my experience of the loss of my relationship was all of a sudden it was like the depth of grief that I had not felt in so long. Like I was reminded so much more of the breadth of the human experience of the emotion that mm. the range, the, like I hadn't touched the bottom of my pain in a long time. Yeah. And maybe because I'd sort of not been in a deep, intimate relationship, you know, previous to that for a couple of years, for the four, three and a half years we were together, that that when you love someone, you also sign up for the, the potential loss of someone in mm -hmm. any way, in mm -hmm. any capacity. And I felt the same way, you know, you articulated beautifully that I felt the same way, that I thought I was paying attention before. And I know I was. But I wasn't paying fully, you know, it, my mm. attention was still, there was an aliveness to me after that was different. It's like urgency. Yeah. We've talked about this, you and me before, and it's actually, it's one of the big gifts for me that has come out of this experience. And I remember thinking that very early on, which brings me to a side note, which is that there's so much, there can be so much confusion around grief and loss, because as you said, we're experiencing this deep pain, but it's like, oh, but this is evidence of how much we loved this person. Mm -hmm. You know, there, my brother's funeral, there was, there was so many people there, people that we didn't know, people that met him once, 
that showed up and traveled to come and pay their respects and say goodbye. And they were, I was actually, you know, quite, quite numb myself. I wasn't overtly emotional at the, at the funeral, partly because I was stunned by how emotional other people were, you know, who had just met him one time. Um, And I was like equally struck with the pain of that and how deep that loss was, but also, oh my God, so much love um, and so much raw emotion and being so grateful in, in a small way, even amidst the pain, being so grateful to feel all of those things so fully and to be so present. I, I write, and I think that it's like having a nerve exposed to the mm. sun or like having a sunburn exposed to the sun. You just are feeling everything. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm somehow I'm grateful to be feeling all of this because I didn't realize before how much of life I was missing. And then once you feel all those things, there is an urgency. It's like, okay, I don't have time. I don't have time mm. to sugarcoat. I don't have time for things that aren't for me anymore. I don't have time to be disrespecting myself or to have other people not honoring me. I don't have time to waste. And that is such a beautiful thing to have, to be that raw, you know, and then there's a whole nother phase where, well, how do we take that with us and then go on with our lives? Mm. Because there can be kind of an attraction or a holding on to being in the throes of grief and in the throes of emotion where things are just welling up and you have a really like low tolerance for emotional overwhelm. Um, That's a simultaneously beautiful place and also a slippery slope in my experience. So in the experience of the grief, because that was, that has been true for me that I don't have the emotional capacity to hold much of anyone else's right now. And I would say that my grief is starting to lift more and, you know, the, it moves through me and hits mm-hmm. me in moments that I'm like, uh, I was just having, I was planning on just having a coffee, you know, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Um, but then in the inability to tolerate sort of like energy vampires or conversations I don't want to have or, you know, but being, a, I have no choice but to honor that because I actually don't have the extra emotional resilience I might've had before, or Mm -hmm. maybe even recognizing that the boundary was actually further back than I thought it was. Yeah. I'm realizing that, that like the space of, of what I'm, I allowed before was probably too much because I'd normalized that maybe as a kid growing up or whatever. Mm. But in the conversation you were just saying about this, this suffering and the grief, but then it's so easy to make that home. Yeah. And I love what you said that, that in the pain, and this was really weird for me to experience. You verbalized it really beautifully in the pain. I was also in an incredible state of gratitude. Like that was fucked up for my brain to formulate. Like I'm an incredible pain and loss, but I love her and I love love and I love the emotion I'm experiencing. And the pain is actually beautiful. Yeah that's weird to like make the mind uh, understand. Yeah. It's so weird. It's not even something I even attempt actually to understand because I, you know, I remember feeling when I first moved, for example, to the West coast, that was something my brother and I had been, he was living out here, but Tim and I had been looking at apartments potentially together. And I kind of 
you know, we always kind of know our relationships are ending before they are ending. So I kind of, part of me knew that was coming, but I moved out to the West Coast after he had passed um, with the remnants of like our, our plans and his life out here together. And, you know, I'd visited him and my other brother here before. So I had so many like happy, positive memories. And I was so proud of myself for getting myself out here and kind of starting my life over and just experiencing the the awe of being on the West Coast. And at the same time, um, knowing that part of the reason that I was in this place is because he was gone. Like mm, that's what in some way brought you out that, yeah. that engaged all the change, the dominoes. Yeah. Like it was the catalyst. They, yeah. There was things at play. Things were kind of going in that direction, but it was, it was a very slow process. And then that, that really was a catalyst. And then I got out here and I was experiencing all of this beauty and all this joy and all of these just really positive memories of his life in the city, meeting his friends that he knew here, um, knowing how much he loved living his life out here. And I, I felt like the shadow of him was kind of everywhere, that there was simultaneously huge breakthroughs of joy. And, and then also he was there too. And the sadness and the knowledge that I was finally experiencing all of this, but not with him in the way that I you know, would have wanted to. That's something that I don't understand still. And it's, that's one of the things I learned how to carry was the joy and the pain at the same time. And that neither means anything. Yeah. You know, that we've been so socialized to think that like sadness or pain are bad. Right. Like we shouldn't feel those things. So we like avoid those feelings. Yeah. But the the idea that they're good or bad is a construct that is not provided to us. In my experience of this, it has been so much about not putting it in a category. Yeah. Like not making it mean anything rather than it just is. It Mm. just is. And I feel like I keep being thrown back into the moment. Like that has been the thing that has been like the continuous noticing, the continuous noticing and the continuous invitation that when you're in grief, you have no choice but to be present. Yeah. But when you're not in that, like, it's like when you're in elation, you're present too. But when you're not in either of those, we're usually in the future or the past. Yeah. Almost in a way to elicit a feeling, you know, that, but in my experience thus far, this experience of, of loss has, it, it has created such a, as you said before, an urgency, like an urgency of like, you have the privilege of every moment. You have the privilege of the breath. And it, you might not have one tomorrow. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I think what a lot of people do in the, the trying to heal or the trying to make sense of, and, you know, it really is almost like trying to quantify it and like, how do I, what next steps do I take to get out of this? And like you said, it really does take you out of the moment. And we always try and assign meaning. And I think that's partly because of the groundlessness and like the Mm -hmm. existential crisis that grief and loss brings. So we're like, okay, we need, we need to assign some sort of meaning to this. Like if I'm feeling this much pain, it's good. Or if I'm feeling numb, it's bad. Or if I'm feeling joy, it's good. Or if I'm feeling, you know, not joy, it's bad. Um, 
But I think that's even just trying to assign or quantify that takes us out of our experience. And it almost prolongs the healing because again, it's that idea of like, we can't just let it be a part of us. We can't just let it be what it is. We have to know like, how are we doing on this scale of good and bad? Does that make sense? It makes total sense that in the desire to give it meaning, you are not present to it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who lost her partner uh, a couple years ago and she was telling me how much the, what other people think her grief should be has been such a um, pressure Mm. that, you know, in her desire to get to know someone new or to like continue to move forward and, and honor the experience with her past partner who's passed to honor that, but to not be withheld by it. So like for other people who make it mean that she's not being present to it or she's not respecting and she's like, oh my gosh, like the passing is actually the the propelling forward, like mm-hmm. moving her towards the actual desire to live. Like our past partners or past people in our lives who have left, yeah, like left the plane, left the earth, they would never want us to 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 withhold our lives to to stay in quicksand. Like that's yeah. not the purpose of grief. Yeah, and it's really a denial of reality. There's two things I want to say about that. The one is that, yeah, whenever we put this expectation on ourselves that our grief should look a certain way we're, or that this shouldn't have happened this way or it should have happened this way, we're completely in denial of reality. And we have blinders on and we're basically saying that we are like a powerful all-knowing of what things should and shouldn't be. And therefore, we're completely closed off to what else life might bring us. And to me, from a spiritual standpoint, that's in direct conflict with the point of of what my soul is doing in this human body, mm-hmm. right? My, I'm not here to walk, you know, A, B, C steps in that order. I don't know what order I'm here to do things in, but to pretend or to try and sell myself that idea of should or shouldn't be this way, which is a way that we try and give ourselves comfort in grief, right? Like that's a that's one of those coping mechanisms. It creates safety. It creates like a firm thing to hold onto when you've got nothing left to hold onto. So there's a comfort in that. And that's, I think, part of a part of a phase that we move through. But to, to think it should or shouldn't be a certain way is like going to put you in direct conflict with reality. And then the other piece that I was going to speak to is that a lot of people do find it so hard to move on with their life. And this is why I said before that grief and vulnerability and rawness can be a slippery slope because it's almost like you get so attracted to, and it feels so good and validating almost to just be in your raw grieving state. Um, And you haven't yet reconciled with the idea that you're actually allowed to feel better again. And how do you take Mm -hmm. what you've learned and take the rawness and vulnerability that you feel in the depths that you've gone to your soul and the lessons that you've learned there. How do you bring those with you into your life and give yourself permission to feel joy again? Feeling joy again doesn't mean that you're over the or loss or, or that person or you're not honoring them. It's to me, it's almost the opposite. Like you said, like these people would never want that for us, you know, to hold ourselves back from life. But it can feel, you know, I. I remember feeling like 
at like everything I have to do, I have to remember him. And if I felt less pain today at the memory, maybe I'm forgetting him and maybe I'm not honoring his memory as much. And so there's a real inner conflict that can happen. Or how do I, how can I be having so much fun in my life on the West Coast? And he's not here. Like that doesn't feel fair. It felt like a betrayal mm. on some level until I really learned. And this is like a whole nother conversation until I learned how to have a relationship with him again in a way that's different than what my expectation of what our relationship should have been was, meaning two physical bodies as siblings moving through the world. And now my relationship with him is his essence and his spirit that's not of this world anymore, but still very much present. So learning how to give myself permission to feel good again and know that that didn't mean I didn't miss him as much or wasn't honoring his memory as much or forgetting about him. Um, that was a really, really, really interesting journey. Um, you know, just thinking like even how to design my career, like, oh, should I become a grief coach mm. to honor him? Well, no, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to build your whole world and all your connections and all your relationships around being sad and remembering the loss. You can honor that and still feel joy and still give yourself permission to move forwards at the same time. It's just, for me, it's about redefining the relationship that we have with our pain and our loss and with that person. It's the same with breakups. Mm -hmm. um, that you allowed it. And that you allow the relationship to transition, mm -hmm. even though it is still in the physical, it the way you relate to them is changing yeah. and has changed. Yeah. I love that there's that that idea, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything. It's so similar. This yeah. this allowing, this surrendering, yeah. this not trying to make things different than they are. I mean, as soon as you try to fight for a different reality, you are not in reality anymore. Mm -hmm. You're now experiencing pain that is purely a construct of just not paying attention of just yeah. not being present. Yeah. Yeah, and and even like that idea of like what the story, what's the story that happened in your relationship? Oh, I was, you know, I was cheated on. I could easily I had there was so many painful, you know, bombs that went off in my relationship at that time that I was grieving and I could easily carry that story with me and say yeah, like, oh, I was, I was lied to. I was cheated on. I was taken advantage of and my money was taken and my home was taken, all of these things that happened. Um, but then of course I'm never going to get over it if that's the story that I'm constantly identifying with. So we're almost like in direct conflict with ourselves when we're saying, I'm trying to heal, I'm trying to heal. And we don't, we can't let that story go that I shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened that way. You know, they shouldn't have done that to me or I shouldn't have had to feel those things. I felt that for a long time, like almost like really had a chip on my shoulder that all these bad things in my relationship, how dare he treat me this way after my brother died? And sure, to a certain extent, you know, there's there's some disrespect there. But at the same time, that was the reality of the situation. And there was so many other forces at play. And to carry that with me that it shouldn't have happened that way as I'm trying to heal it could, I couldn't heal. Mm, like you were, it did happen. It so did. in saying it shouldn't, exactly. you were then not acknowledging that all that existed existed. Yeah. yeah you're just got, you know, you can get like really self-righteous in your pain. Yeah. You get a, you stay in that victim space. Yeah. 
And it, and it feels like on the one hand, it feels good because it's like, I might be so numb to the loss, but I can feel this anger. I can feel this upset um, and betrayal. So I'm going to just hold on to that because I'm so terrified to move on with my life without this pain. Cause I don't know what life looks like anymore. Do you feel like in that experience of the loss of your brother and then the relationship and the moving and all the things, you know, it seems everything happens in where they say everything happens in, in threes. threes yeah. yeah. That, that life sort of brought you to your knees. Oh yeah. 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 And then in that, like in hindsight, and you could tell me if this question is total shit, but in hindsight, when you look back, what was the invitation of all of it? You know, when you look at the purpose of mm. it, because, you know, in, in some way it, it does serve a purpose. I mean, you obviously you moved out West and all those things, mm-hmm. but what was like the reminder or the reclamation or the, like, what do you think the purpose was for you in, in maybe each event or in all the culmination of betrayals or experiences of loss? Hmm. I mean, part of me wants to say, the purpose was to teach me that there is no purpose. There is no, like, life is supposed to go a certain way. No, that's not true. You know, that's, that's bullshit. Mm. Um, not everything has like this big meaning that it all has to happen at once. So part of me wants to say that, but the other part of me wants to say the the lesson or the invitation for me was really to wake up and not play small anymore and really take responsibility because a part of me knew that being in the relationship that I was in and the home that I was in and doing the work that I was doing was playing small and I was just kind of coasting. So really the invitation was, no, no, we're not going to let you um, fall back on this stuff anymore. Like you really need to make decisions um, and not kind of farm that out to other people in your life. You know, don't let the other person in the relationship decide if it's going to work or if they're going to respect you or not, or, um, don't let the other people that you're working for decide where your career direction is going to go. So I really, really learned to take absolute responsibility for my decisions and for my choices and know that I I was at the driver's seat. And that you were then. So it's like being shot out of the passenger seat and into that, like, hey, yeah. here's the wheel. Yeah. While you're like on your knees in pain yeah. trying to make sense of, of the loss and supporting other people through the loss, you know, and my parents and my other brother and my other siblings, like all of that really just happened at once. So, I mean, saying that the other part of me wants to go back to my original statement, which is that (laughs) we don't know, like we're saying, oh my God, all this stuff happened at once. There must've been a purpose to that. And it's like, well, that's life. You know, we make plans and, and spirit laughs. And it's just, to me, that's been the most humbling thing over and over and over again, even to say, you know, around suicide and mental health and like, how can we help and how can we support people? And, and to be able to step back a little bit and say, there's only so much that we can do, um, in our, in planning our lives and holding on to how we want things to go. And the rest is like, well, that's, this is just how life goes. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes people die. Sometimes houses burn down, accidents happen. You know, this stuff is, again, it's this attachment to should this have happened or shouldn't this have happened. It should be the way the story was supposed to go. Yeah. And, and even the line of like, how can we find the silver lining? What's the purpose? Mm 
of this. That's a tricky one because I think sometimes we don't know. It's not for us to know. And again, trying to find out what was the purpose is is trying to hold on and trying to use, you know, it's like that's the life raft. Yeah. And sometimes that's helpful. But for me, my my biggest lesson um, or the purpose of all of this, my biggest lesson has been is that I, it's okay if there's no life raft. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the idea that sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's okay. That's yeah. actually the purpose of the learning is to know that you don't get to know why. You just, and that yeah. is again, the rocket ship to surrender. That yeah. just is this, this recoil or this, um, you are flung back into yourself constantly. Mm-hmm. And when I think about what grief does when it makes us experience just this, you know, if you're put back in the driver's seat, but your eyes are filled with tears, it's pretty hard to steer. And that that sort of analogy furthers this idea that you don't get to see the path anymore. You have to feel the path. Yeah. And I was I was back into that of this space of like the story you thought was going to happen. You actually have to surrender to the fact that you don't know. All you can do is show up every day yeah. as the best version of you. And I was, it was like heart and intuition and all those things. I just, I had to, because I was blind to what the future might be, it's like I just have to keep feeling into each moment, mm-hmm. you know, because that's all you can do. That's yeah. all you can do. Yeah. And to have so much compassion for yourself. This is what I tell people all the time be gentle, be gentle with yourself. You know, we see this all the time in like courses and coaching. People are, how do I let go? You know, we had all these plans, uh-huh. we had all these plans for our future. And I just can't let go of that. I can't get over that. I can't let go of what we were planning on doing and what they said and what he said and she said, and I'm, I'm feeling these things and, and I don't know what to do. And it's like, that's actually okay, you know, to not know and to, that that reality didn't work out. The invitation, like you said, is to come back to the feeling and the intuition and being able to trust yourself that you can navigate without knowing what the next step is. And I think that's really important for people to hear people reach out and, and they say like, is this normal? I'm like, how, mm. how do I get over this? And I say, you're doing everything. You just aren't trusting that you're doing everything. You, we always want there to be another answer. And the answer is like to go within and to feel what you're feeling and know that that's okay and be very, very gentle with yourself while you're doing it. Yeah. Throughout the experience, I don't know what it was like when you lost your brother. Um, but throughout this experience, I have just continued to dive deeper into what sobriety means, you know, so mm. that I can feel everything. So, you know, it's like alcohol. Then I play whack-a-mole. It's like a little THC. Then I quit that. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like sugar. <laughs> I'm on that one now. Mm-hmm. And when you're, when your brother passed, how did like in the experience, cause you said that sometimes you did sort of disassociate that at the funeral that you were just so overwhelmed with other people's feelings that, mm-hmm. and just the awe of that, mm-hmm. how much he touched people's lives. In your own experience of the navigation of the emotion, did you numb out? And what did you do when you were numbed? And how did you sort of bring back the feeling? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I am trying to remember. That's the other thing about these periods of time. Like there's so much blurriness that goes on. I, I remember having 
really, really intense moments of literally being brought to my knees and being on the floor, you know, just inconsolably feeling the waves of grief and sadness come over and then getting up and going about the day and feeling like, oh, this is so weird. My brother just died. And I'm like, just driving to the gas station or or, yeah, like I got to pay a bill. Um, My tuition is due, you know, like real life kind of just comes back in whether you like it or not. Um, So I had moments of that. And I mean, part of the, the struggle in my relationship after or as that all was going on, part of that was my way of numbing was I'm going to just fight in this relationship instead of letting it go, even though I knew it was over. So I'm going to really hold on to that part of it. Well, loss, my gosh, loss keeps kicking you there. So you're like, I don't need more loss. Yeah, but it was a way to numb. It totally was a way to numb. Um, And, and probably other things. I mean, I, I was a bartender, so I wasn't drinking a lot, but I was definitely using that environment as a bit of an escape. And I think that's okay to give ourselves permission to do that too. Part of the thing I, I always say about, you know, if you're dissociating or you're numbing, there's part of you that's protecting you mm-hmm. when you're doing that. Um, Cause it's so intense. Yeah. The overwhelm, of the it. overwhelm. And, and you just can't feel that all the time. Like you got to give yourself a break. So, you know, not to say let's all go on benders, but um, <laughs> this is a pro bender podcast. This is not a pro bender. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a person who, whoever um, used substances or alcohol. It, it wasn't one of my go-tos. Oh, I did. Um, although I'm, I mean, I'm sure I, I did have those times, you know, kind of mixed in there, but no, my go-to was, was just kind of other things like staying really busy. And that still is one of my go-tos actually. I mean, as someone who benefits from your perfectionism sometimes, I'm like, okay, you don't need to get everything done all at once. Yeah. As someone who gets very few things done all at once, I'm like, I'm the opposite, you know, as you very well know. Yeah. (laughs) We have a good balance though, but I think- We have the best balance. Yeah. So what's, I mean, what was really important for me and all of that was learning my specific ways that I was like- not surrendering or stepping out of being in my feelings. I mean, even coming into this to starting work as a coach was like a big way for me to become more present, you know, and you, you asked like, how, what was the balance and how do you come out of it? And it's, the answer is time, mm-hmm. time and being gentle and really something someone said to me really early on, my cousin said it to my family. He said, guys, be really careful these next few days. Um, or these weeks and months, like just, you know, watch what you're doing when you're driving or when you're walking, um, be really careful with yourself because you're vulnerable and you're, there's so many emotional things going on. You're not going to be totally present in some ways and really just take care of each other, reach out, see, check on each other, make sure you're okay. Um, watch, watch when you're cooking. Like, so, so really just being gentle and taking care and going back to those self-care practices. That was a really big thing for me. Um, And I guess probably no matter what your numbing practices, unless you become a total hermit and all you do is self-care, then maybe the invitation would be to step out of that. But for me, it was really like, okay, how do I just give my feelings permission 
to be what they are and really just take care of myself so that I can um, slowly, they all feel safe to like come to the surface and I'm not wanting to numb. I'm not wanting to dissociate. I'm able to be more present, to have conversations about things. Um, so, so specifically not taking on tons of extra workloads, um, yeah. especially things that didn't light me up or, or didn't um, help move me forwards in the way that I wanted to express and, and share and support. I think that's the gift of it too. Another mm-hmm. one of the many gifts is yeah. is what really is important to you becomes very real because you can only put your attention towards activities that actually give you energy as mm-hmm. opposed to take it from you because you, you are in such a need of receiving. So if you've never received support in your life, you're like thrown into this space where you are vulnerable and tossed into a space where you have no choice but to be loved and supported and carried. Yeah. And man, that's a big learning for me, for sure. And oh yeah. And as someone who's perpetually busy, social, doing all the things, when I experienced that, when I finally experienced it, I was like, oh, I'm not as I I can't be busy. I like don't have a choice. I mm. need to go into the forest. I need to be, you know, I, I didn't have a choice. And I continue actually to be reminded of that, that I thought I was an extrovert. <laughs> I told you this before. Yeah. I thought I was an extrovert and Kai is very introverted. So just by our relationship, I experienced, I'm like, oh, these introverts are onto something. Mm. This is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then just needing to be introverted for my own battery to recharge for my own. And uh, in the last month, as you know, I've been sort of like traveling everywhere and doing all these things and flying a lot. Then I got a cold. Then I got an ear infection and I'm yeah. like, okay, I get the message. It's like, shut it down, take a step back, integrate. Yeah. Like, integrate, grieve, feel pain. And I think that's the part where you were saying that permission to also experience joy and hope and and that if we if we stand in the pain, then we are living and suffering. Mm-hmm. As opposed to when I really look constantly. Like, how is this pain inviting me to grow, to expand, to become? And for me, the catharsis is is writing. Yeah. You know, is expressing, is sharing. And I know for you, that seems huge. Another way that yeah. you. Yeah. And, and for someone who might not be a writer or might not self-express that way with creativity and art, this is such an invitation to do that. Mm, yeah. To just find out what it is that helps you get into your flow. The way that I, um, that I visualize it is that when grief and loss happens, we see these versions of ourselves or these intense feelings that we have. They almost just get so inflamed. They take up so much space in our experience then. And it's like, holy shit, so overwhelming. And then what we do is we then shut the door on those feelings um, as if they came knocking and we opened and we we're like, ah, go, you know, ah, too much. <laughs> yeah, too much. Shut the door. And then we don't know how to open it again. But we would then we're, we're operating not necessarily as our whole selves because we're shut off to certain parts of our experience, like our grief or our pain or our anger. And so I always say, like, find out what activities you can do that just help you feel safe to start to open those doors again. Um, just like a crack, you mean? Yeah. Just like to sliver a sliver yeah. of it? So that it doesn't have to be like 
either volume 10 or volume zero, but like these, these emotions can just kind of coexist um, in your experience without having to yell and be overwhelming or be completely depressed and shut off. So, you know, just finding out what that is for for you, for every individual. Um, And that's, that's like, for me, self-care and going out into nature and moving your body. And yeah, I think, I think writing is good for everyone to do, whether they're writers or not, because it just gets the emotion out of the head, um, just puts it down. But for other people, it's talking or being with pets or mm, being in a physical foot. Fo- oh yeah, dogs are the best. Cats, I'm sure, pretty good too. Probably. Yeah, horses yeah. I hear are pretty good. Everyone on our team loves horses, so I'm like, I'm allergic to horses. So I'm like, well, yeah. this fucked up here. Equine therapy. That's what it's called, right? Horse therapy. Yeah, that is a thing. Well, yeah, that's a thing. I mean, dogs are just such a wonderful reminder to have a short memory. You know, mm. they, they're so present. And I'm sure no cats do not have short memory, but the dogs, no, cats, cats are, are like, remember when you did that two years ago, I'm going to take a piss on your yeah. bed. Your pillow is going to be covered in my stinky pee. Dogs are great because it really helps you. Um, like they don't, they care, but at the same time, they don't really care. Like they have to go out and pee. You know, they have to go outside. They need to walk. So whatever it is you're going through, um, you have to be able to step outside of that and like care for this other being. And then of course the they give you unconditional love and joy and they're so present and they just like take life as it comes. You know, they're trotting down the path. It's like, oh, squirrel or like, oh, <laughs> you know, rock I'm going to go stand on. Um, and that's really beautiful too. But even just, again, learning like, what do you mean you have to go outside? Can you see him wallowing in grief right now? And the dog is like, no, you know, life, life is going on. Like life is moving around you no matter what you're going through like, let's go. Um, and it starts to bring a little bit more balance to your experience again. It gives you access to different emotions and it allows the emotions, I think, to just be a little bit safer to navigate. Yeah. Animals definitely remind you of the joy, the simplicity, mm-hmm. the, you know, and the, I love what you said about nature. Cause for sure that is, has been one of the main anchors of any transition for me is like being in the forest, being by the beach, being in the desert, being in the trees, and just being reminded of the the world doesn't slow down for a loss of anything, you know, no. because to a tree, spring is just, or fall is just part of it. Yeah. You know, these cycles of life that there's something about being a human that we like, we sort of detach from the reality of our own mortality. And mm. then when we are pushed face to face with our mortality, everything comes, you know, as I said before, everything that's important to us becomes very clear but our mortality is always there. It's always sitting in front of us. And this idea that we are promised a moment beyond now is is such a false idea. I mean, we could, something, the world could just literally shake. Mother Earth could be like, I'm done with you, fucking your virus. Yeah, she'll just you, flick us off. And then, she, and then we're done. And there's a painful truth in that, that, mm. that one day we won't have this experience and yeah. people listening to this one day, you won't hear podcasts. And there's something very sad about that. You know, there's, it's, there's a sadness because there's oh, a yeah. loss. We won't have this experience, which is a loss, but there's something so beautiful about that. That makes this conversation ever so much more important. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 
it's that balance of holding these two things at the same time. It's so important. And at the same time, it doesn't matter at all. It's a snap. It's a, it's a single moment, single drop in an ocean of time. You know, that's, that's something that helped me move through my own grief was like, you know, I believe that our souls move through lives in, in kind of family units. And so I felt like, okay, my physical life experience with um, this person as my sibling is over this time, but I'm going to see, you know, that energy, that essence of me and of him and of all the members of my family. Um, This is just one experience that we're having in this lifetime. So that helps me create separation from it. But then at the same time, um, you know, I was talking to my partner the other day in the forest as we were walking, as the forest always allows us to be uh, reflective, that, no, we're never going to have this life again. We are having a life together now. And one day it's going to be over and he and I are never going to see each other in this physical life again. And it was so sad. Mm. I got so sad um, and and was like, wow, I, this is just so beautiful that we get to have this experience. And again, brought me full circle to how can I really take responsibility and really be in the moment and really notice what are my invitations? What is my body inviting me? What is my life inviting me to step into or to step out of? Um, because I don't, I don't want to look back at the end of my life or whenever this all comes, comes to an end and feel regrets or feel like I was too afraid or I wanted to stay small. Man, such a, such an invitation. Mm-hmm. And I love in those moments that we experience the immense beauty of the connection. Yeah. You know, cause we, whenever you love someone, you are inherently experiencing what it might feel like to lose them. So it often causes us to pull back from the love that we want to give because we don't think we can handle the loss. Mm. And so we we sort of upper limit our level of depth and intimacy yeah. as opposed to like what you were doing, which was like feeling into how expansive this is and how delicious it is that that you get to experience this for however many moments. Yeah. And now you're becoming a portal. Yeah. I mean, you always were a portal, but you're actually <laughs> opening the portal. Literally. Yeah. Yeah, giving birth to new life. I mean, that's been huge for me. This is this is the other beautiful lesson of grief and loss is that there are always layers and there are always invitations. Um, you know, I don't believe we ever get off our path. We're just constantly like getting bumped back in the direction, you know, that's best for us to go into. And so when we talk about like allowing our, all of our emotions to become present again, or coming back online or getting out of these numbing strategies, there's so there's always going to be different layers of this. Mm, And I love discovering new layers. And for me, another new layer was, um, okay, what other responsibilities am I taking on specifically when I became pregnant and started really thinking about, um, a like inherited family trauma and what emotional environment I'm providing for this little being, that's growing as it's getting ready to come into the world. And so wanting to provide a really good emotional environment and be able to clear my own trauma um, or at least be aware of it and be consistently working through it. So I'm not passing it down, but also to look at my life and say, 
okay, how am I still numbing? How am I still shying away? Even though I've done all of this work, it's been five years, um, what new layer of this grief am Mm. I still experiencing? And for me, that's like taking on tons of work or like not really spending enough time. You know, I've talked about this, um, you know, stepping into my creative expression because I'm so busy doing other projects, even though they're beautiful, meaningful projects. Um, So it's how do we make space for all of that and step towards what's really emotional and scary. And that's a new layer for me of learning and feeling and processing because the higher that we feel or the more connected we feel, we hold the grief and the loss as well. And I think anytime you're doing... Yeah, anytime you're doing your like your calling in life or your art in life or you're putting yourself out there, um, that's stepping into surrender. And anytime you're doing something that's really familiar or allows you, you know, to fills your time so you don't have time to do your art, that's that's resisting. And now, of course, being pregnant, I'm like, there's so much surrender coming up that I'm like, great. This is a huge new invitation, a huge new lesson, huge new layer that I'm learning to really slow down and be present and think about what I want to put out into the world and how I want to do my work. Mm, I was in just like observing the experience of you becoming pregnant and just the excitement of it and and all the learning you've been doing because you've been nerding out a lot on inherited trauma and all that stuff. And I love that you're doing that and the conversations we're having around it. I was listening to you as I think this was in the Mark Gross podcast bingo that I sometimes quote Alan Watts. I was listening to Alan Watts. <laughs> Thank you yeah, for was. creating that. That was amazing. That was amazing. If you guys missed it, someone created a a really wonderful woman created a bingo of what I mentioned on each podcast episode or what I might talk about. And Alan Watts is one of my spirit animals. And he talked about how when we we think and get so lost in the idea of death and and it becomes this confronting overwhelming thing when when but you are you are born of nothing and you leave of nothing mm-hmm. so you are either something or nothing mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah. you're born from nothing you become something and then you become nothing again but you don't think about being born into the world but we obsess about leaving the world yeah but we just go back where we came and I thought it was like this different way of seeing death as being like, oh, it's actually this, pe- it was like a peaceful entry and it's like a peaceful exit. Yeah. Not always peaceful, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it depends on the the soul journey. I mean, everybody has that different journey, but I I really like to think of death as, you know, like a crossing over. And I, after my brother passed, I read a lot of books and um, past life regression stuff and there's so many experiences that people have shared or that mediums have shared about crossing over and the rest of our soul family on the other side is just like welcoming you home. And it, and it's actually, that is where the home is and that this life really is a temporary place. But I do, I do love that idea of thinking of it as a whole circular journey. It's not just, it's not just this or nothing. It's, there is somewhere that we go and there's somewhere that we come from. And I really feel like the being that I'm growing right now is coming from 
coming down from somewhere. It was like waiting to be invited into its body. And then that's the perfect moment. Yeah. And then when the moment was right, it was like, great, here I'm coming. And it's Barry Manilow playing (laughs) or whatever you guys were playing. Uh, You do remember the moment, right? I do remember the moment. I'm not sure there was music playing. Where were you? Probably Vancouver Island. Were you like, I'm pregnant? Did you have that thought after? (laughs) I was pretty sure. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, the amount of- It was in the forest. I mean, it was somewhere in the forest of Vancouver Island. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's interesting how, like, how, you know, I'd love to say that men are attuned to the planet and all those things. That's true. But not near the fact that, like, a woman's body cycles on the circadian rhythm, the moon, the waves. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. all of it is such- a mind fuck. That mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways that that is why we don't pay attention because it's so hard for the mind to actually conceptualize yeah. all of the amazing things that are happening at every moment. Yeah. And then when you're just like, whoa, and someone's like, this is how the world works. I'm like, no one knows. No <laughs> one has any clue. Yeah. And I think when we just let go of this need to make everything make sense and to know why things oh, happen yeah. and to, you know, it's this constant meditation i'm sure i don't have as you know i don't have children so it's like i don't even know the lessons i'm going to receive Mm -hmm. when that happens but Mm -hmm. they are going to be plentiful you know all the shit you don't know that you need to deal with you know my friend Mm -hmm. uh, dan harrison was saying yesterday he's like you know you don't realize till you have a kid and then you think you got some of your stuff figured out from your family what you know your patterns he's like and then you're in a moment you're like why am I acting like my mom right now? You know, like he said, it's just like one of these really humbling experiences. Yeah. And if his mom's listening, I don't know what that means, but you guys, you guys could talk about it. I'm sure we all, sure we all do it though. And that, I mean, that just brings up the, the beautiful, amazing point of people wanting to know the answers before they start. Or even becoming pregnant and there's like a million books and courses and things you can take for delivery and um, the perfect things to eat when you're pregnant, the perfect things to do and not do and all of that stuff. You know, even though I'm working through a lot of emotional things right now, I'm not expecting myself to have worked through them by the time the baby is born. You know, for me, there always has to be an element of surrender um, because otherwise we're we're not in the present. We're putting these expectations on ourselves where, again, we're putting those blinders on and we're thinking, we're A, we're thinking, I got to know all this information before I'm worthy oh of taking on this role or, and which is just denying ourselves the empowerment to say, I'm actually going to know what to do when the time comes. I mean, evolution has allowed and mm-hmm. afforded women to be so attuned. Yeah. Like, you'll know. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's and, easy for me to say because I'm not about to have a baby. No, but I really do believe. I, I think so. I really do believe that. And if I, but here's the thing, and this goes, Mark, for childbirth and for coaching and life planning. If you don't know in that moment, you're a resourceful person who can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. You're an you adult know? or you're becoming an adult. Yeah. So, Whenever we're talking about like, oh, I want to start this new business or do this new thing in my career or have this new conversation and like, what do I need to know before I do it? Yeah, of course I believe in preparation, but to use that need to know 
as a way to hold yourself back, to me, that's like the ultimate self-betrayal because the only way you learn to trust yourself is by doing the thing that has a whole bunch of unknowns and learning oh yeah, like all this unknown shit just happened and I actually handled it and I didn't handle it perfectly. I stumbled through my words. I was awkward, but that's okay. Like these are the types of things that I think are huge growth leaps and bounds. And maybe that's what grief and loss taught me as well too, because there is no roadmap. There is no preparing for somebody's sudden and unexpected suicide. I mean, there's also, there's no preparing for so many things in life So then you go through something like that and you learn, wow, I was brought to my knees and I was so unprepared and I made it through, Mm. you know, maybe I numbed, maybe I was self-righteous in my pain. Maybe I took a really long time dissociating before I came back, you know, to my work For, for me, I did, I did a lot of unrelated jobs before I really allowed myself to step into this this type of work of supporting mm-hmm. and coaching and sharing my writing, but I did it, you know, and, and here you are and here I am. Mm-hmm. And other people, I think for me, that's like, that's the big takeaway. And that's the reason to support and share is to help others know and trust that they don't need to know all the answers. There's not a coach who's going to tell them the best way to handle this. There's not a book that's going to prepare them and make them not make, you know, quote unquote, air quotes, Uh mistakes. You just have to do it. You have to just live your life. And the thing about sudden loss is that it takes the choice away from you in a lot of ways. You don't have a choice, but to- Which is sometimes the gift. Which is sometimes the gift. Probably always the gift. Yeah. 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 But then other times, you know, we don't have to go through earth shattering loss to to take a leap of faith in ourselves. Yeah, you don't you don't have to be in a great deal of pain to wake up. Yeah. You can just decide enough is enough. It could be the smallest nudge. Yeah. You know, it could be the smallest bit of pain. Yeah. That says and I think we get there. You know, we get there when the universe hits us with a cosmic two by four and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden we're like, whoa. The little birdies are flying around our head, Hmm. like in a cartoon. Yeah. And then we're like, whoa, okay. Now I'll pay attention to the little, oh, that didn't feel good or that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, It's Abraham Hicks who says words that words don't teach actions do. That you can learn anything until you do, you do not know. Mm -hmm. And that's the application where knowledge becomes wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, you can know something, but if you're not doing it, it's... It's not connected to anything grounded, you know? Yeah. And you're not grounded in yourself either. I think that's a really big thing, um, being able to be grounded in yourself and not have to always be, I call it leaving your center, leaving your power, looking outside of yourself for validation or explanation or, you know, even permission and invitation about what you want to do. To me, all of that is like, you've just stepped outside of your own empowerment and to come back to it is to say, I'm going to know what I need to do, what I need to do it. And this is, this nudge is nudging me in this direction. So I'm going to follow that. And I don't know what's going to come next, but we'll see, you know, I trust myself. And the only way you build that muscle is by, by doing it. Like you said, words don't teach, you know, actions 
that's how you build the self-trust and that's how you build the wisdom. Mm, the journey of life. Yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> that's a beautiful way to bring it to a conclusion. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Is that, that an hour already? That is an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the you have been such a rock in my life. And you and uh, the team, Carrie, Laura, Nick, Kat, have supported me through this transition so much that I could never imagine even trying to hold up my world alone. And I don't have to. So mm. thank you to you and your wisdom and your friendship and just the, the love that you live your life with. And thank you for sharing today. I'm sure you have transformed many a heart in these moments. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This was really a joy to talk about. And if people want to find you, where do they go, Emma Rose Tate? That's it, Emma Rose Tate. That's my IG. You can find her there. She's going to be on maternity leave soon. Yeah, soon, really March. soon. Yeah, I mean, I, you keep telling me I'm I'm going on maternity leave. I keep again planning projects. Yeah, you got to appreciate this. She's like, and then I'll do this. I'm like, why don't we just wait till you have a baby before you make any <laughs> more commitments? <laughs> and it's really important to me that Create the Love embodies this idea of how important the maternal is and the connection with the maternal and parent in general, but especially mother, and that you do have a year in Canada and a lot of parts of the world. Take note if you run a company where you don't do this. I think it's incredibly important mm. that we have a year to do those things. So yeah. I don't want you to make any commitments now. I know you don't. I know. Because I, pre I do appreciate that. And I mean, this is my work, right? You're helping <laughs> to hold me accountable to surrendering, to being in the moment and allowing myself to, to really experience all that this opportunity has to offer. Yeah, I mean, I think you should have a year to just enjoy it all. And you will bring back to, I mean, we're obviously going to hang out and talk during all of that. I can't <laughs> let a little a little mini Tate walk around without um, seeing this little one all the time. Yeah. But that you take that time and that's so important and that you're supported throughout that time. Yeah, that's been so amazing to experience from you. And I mean, I'm, I know I'll be writing and new creative stuff will come in. It's it's going to be like a, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a journey and I'm going to be there for it. So basically people can look for me on Instagram where I write things. Um, I also write for Elephant Journal from time to time. So I have a collection of articles there. Um, there's one there on grief and loss um, and putting ourselves back together. And uh, I might share that one. We'll make sure we put it in the Again, show notes. Yeah, but mostly just um, Instagram and... Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.